have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Acts, the book of Acts. We're in our last lesson on our series of For the Nations, uh, Refuge for the Nations, rather. We've gone back all the way to Genesis 1, and we've looked at God's heart for the nations and saw how it was revealed in His plan for creation and His promise of redemption. And that plan is still being fulfilled. And that promise is still being fulfilled. And then we saw that even though all of creation rebelled against that, there was hope for the nations, and it was revealed at the end of His rainbow. It's just an amazing thing that as all of creation rebels, uh, that God in His grace says, look, I'm going to remain faithful to my plan, my purpose, and the creation that I have made. Then we looked at God's blessings for the nations in Genesis 12. And we saw that God chose Abraham and the Jewish people to bless them so that they would be the blessing to all the nations. And we kind of had to fast forward through the Old Testament. We, we, we skipped over a lot. But that's because this isn't to cover all that's in the Bible. It's to look at refuge for the nations. And so we jumped into God's refuge for the nations as revealed in the Son. We jumped to the Gospels. But at the end of the Gospels, before, after Jesus is risen and before He goes up back into heaven to be seated and exalted and to reign at the right hand of the Father, He gives us that mandate. And so we saw God's missions for uh, God's mission for the nation is revealed in a mandate to multiply. So we looked at what's commonly called the Great Commission last week. So how are we going to end this study? Well, we're going to end it by doing a survey of the Book of Acts. And here's what we're going to see today. And here's how we're going to kind of how we are going to wrap up this series. And it's this. The living God is a missionary God who sent His Spirit. Or probably I should have written it this way. The living God is a missionary God whose risen Son sent His Spirit to multiply churches. To multiply churches. We're in that part of God's plan where for... I call it the church age because it's all about churches. And so we're in that part of the church age. God, the risen Son, the living God, the missionary God, God the Father, His Son has sent His Spirit to multiply churches for the nations, just like we heard just now from the O'Grady's. The book of Acts reminds us that Jesus sent His Spirit so local churches would bridge the gap between God and all the peoples of the world. Churches are bridging the gap in order to be a refuge for the nations. Now, in the Gospels, you have in your notes Matthew 16, 18. In the Gospels, Jesus said, I will build my church. Future tense. I will build my church. Now, obviously, he's the cornerstone of that foundation. He's preparing for the church in the Gospels. But in Matthew 16, he's speaking to Peter, and, he's, and Peter had just confessed him as the Christ. And he said, Peter... Upon this rock, the rock being his confession that Jesus is the Christ. But somehow it's going to involve Peter, and he's going to start building his church. Well, when you come to the book of Acts, you have him saying, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And he gives that last great commission. Then he goes up to heaven. And 40 days later, the Spirit comes down. And Peter gets up, filled with the Spirit, with the rest of the apostles gathered around him. And he preaches Christ. And in that moment, Christ begins to build his church on this earth. Now, let me just quickly, I'm going to regret this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Where we're at in this, because remember, we started in this series saying God's creation plan is for his presence to rule with his people over his place. And so how that's progressed is in the Gospels, God's presence came in the king. The king is the kingdom is near because the king is here. So the focus is in God's presence, in his person, the ultimate mediator, Jesus. But Jesus went up and the spirit came down and what and what the spirit did was birth the church and that's God's people. So God's presence, his his son is in heaven, but God's people are here and that's the church age gathered in churches, which are basically kingdom outposts. They aren't the kingdom. We aren't the kingdom. We are kingdom outposts. We proclaim the kingdom is with him up there. That's why we still pray, your kingdom come. If the kingdom was already here and we are bringing in the kingdom, we wouldn't be praying, your kingdom come. Your will be done. The kingdom won't come until the king comes again. But we are subjects of the king. And we're called out with the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. And we're gathered in kingdom outposts. So we are like in an embassy. So we're in a foreign country. We're citizens of heaven. We're in this embassy. And what we do is we gather in our embassy to say, we are a kingdom outpost of the king who is at the right hand of the father. But we scatter to share the good news that the king did come and he's coming again. And guess what? You can be a part of his kingdom too. You can be a subject in his kingdom. And what's ultimately going to happen, and in this series we're not going to go there, but what will ultimately happen is Christ will come back and then God's place will be here on earth. The kingdom will come. So God, so when you think about the New Testament, or at least here's how I think about it. You can think about it, I guess, any way you want, as long as it's biblical. The gospel, the king is here. The kingdom is near because the king is here. The epistles, the church age, between the first coming and the second coming, the king is not here, but his people are. And they're proclaim, they're calling out subjects. Then, in the second coming... And when he comes in his thousand-year reign on this earth, then God's presence ruling with God's people over God's place will be literally here, and that will be the end of the age. So that part, we'll have to wait for another series. For now, we're between that now, not yet. We're kingdom subjects calling out the good news that the king came and he's risen, and you can be a part of his kingdom. And we gather together in kingdom outposts, which we call, and the Bible calls, local churches. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask two questions, two basic questions. What, First of all, what does it look like when churches bridge the gap and become refuge for the nations? What does that look like in the book of Acts? The second question I want to ask, and we won't go through that in detail, is this. What's required of churches 
in order to bridge the gap and be a refuge for the nations. And I gave you 12 principles that I'm just going through the book of Acts. We're not going to hit each one of those in detail, but it just, so what does it look like and what is required? Are we on the same page? Okay, let's dive in and look at it. What does it look like? What does it look like when churches bridge the gap to be a refuge for the nations? Let me give you a simple answer in one sentence that kind of sums up the book of Acts. And it's this. It's simply this. I think I I totally wrote it out. Local churches are planted, established, and multiplied by doing evangelism, discipleship, and missions. Now, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like when churches are on mission... And they're bridging the gap between God and people that don't know Him. And they're seeking to be a refuge for the nations. Local churches are planted, established, multiplied by doing evangelism, discipleship, and missions. And if you want to add to that, it's all done for the fame of His name. It's all done for the fame of His name. Or you could say it's all done so that God's name is glorified among all people. Or you could say, it's all done so that His glory fills the earth. We're, we're going all the way back to, to Genesis, that he, His plan is to fill the earth with His image bearers. And we do that by planting, establishing, and multiplying local churches by doing evangelism, discipleship, and missions. So let's look at this. Number one, local churches, what's it look like when we bridge the gap? It looks like local churches. It looks like local churches. Local churches that are planted, established, and multiplied. You say, why, why, why are you emphasizing that? Well, because 30 years ago, I was asked this question, and the answer radically shaped my view of missions and continues to do so to this day. Because if there's one thing I can tell you, I read a lot about missions, I talk to missionaries, I'm involved in missions, and there is tremendous confusion about missions. And, of course, the devil loves that because where there's confusion, the mission doesn't get accomplished. So, here's the question. How did the original 12 apostles understand the Great Commission? How did they understand it? What did they think missions was? When Jesus gave them the Great Commission, how did the original 12 apostles understand and process what they heard? And here's the second question that goes with that. Where would you go in the Bible to find that out? Where would you go in the Bible to answer that question? Well, the Great Commissions are given at the end of the Gospels, and I just read Acts 1.8 at the beginning of the book of Acts. So where in the Bible would you go to see how they understood the Great Commission? That's not a rhetorical question. The Great Commissions are at the end of the Gospels. Yes, you go to the book of Acts. So everything after Acts 1.8 is telling you how they understood the Great Commission. Make sense? So before we say, well, I think missions is this. Well, I think missions is this. Or I read this guy and he said missions is this. Or I belong to this organization and they say missions is this. The thing we need to do is how did the original 12 understand it and where do we go to find that out? And we go to the book of Acts. 
Okay? And I would put forth to you that what they understood it to be was local churches from beginning to end. It starts with local churches. It ends with local churches. Local churches are the ones who sinned. Local churches are the ones that get planted and, 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 and people are sent. People go to plant local churches. That's the report that we just heard from the O'Grady's. Local churches sent them. They went to Amsterdam, and what they did was plant a church. Now they're in the process of establishing that church so that hopefully that church will also multiply into other churches. And when you look at the book of Acts, so let's go and see that. Let's just kind of move our way through Acts and see how this is laid out. Well, go to Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 1, the Spirit is promised. In Acts chapter 2 of your Bibles, the Spirit comes. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Kind of interesting when you think about it. you got God's presence through the Spirit indwelling God's people in a locale, God's place, which was a house. Okay? But it's filling people, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one, symbolizing the Holy Spirit now dwelling in each believer. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what happens is that whole reversal of the curse of Babel, and we've talked about that numerous times, but notice, when that reversal happens, and these lost Jewish people hear their different languages spoken by these Galilean poor middle-class people, they're like, what's going on? Well, what happens? Verse 14, Peter, remember, upon this rock I will build my church, this confession of Christ. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. And he proceeds to preach the gospel. As a result, go to page um, 37, or go to verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. He preaches Christ, crucified, risen, and giving the Spirit. And you look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent of your sins. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Identify with Jesus as the only way of salvation. For the forgiveness of your sins, yes, forgiveness of sins, but also a heart change, a life transformation. You will receive the gift of the Spirit. And then look at verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and... Okay, he's talking to Jews. It's for you and your children. It's for the Jewish people. Abraham, blessed to be a... a blessed. But notice, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. In other words, blessed to be a blessing. It's for all nations. That right there is our theme, refuge for the nations. The Jew first, but also to the Gentile. So what's the result of this? Well, notice verse 41. So then, those who had received His word, yes, we trust Christ... 
and we repent, were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. In other words, a church was planted. A church was born. And they were continually, and here's the, the commitment of membership. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer, and on it goes. Look, drop down to verse 47. Here's how it ends. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, what, how did the apostles understand the Great Commission? What they understood it to mean was local church is planted through the proclamation of the gospel, and then it's established as members are committed to the Lord and one another and continue in that membership, and ultimately it will lead to the church being multiplied. All right? And we could go through the book of Acts and take you through that. But let's go, we'll, we'll jump. I, I wish I could just walk you through all of Acts, but we just can't do that. But I gave you some verses to look at on your own. But jump over to Acts 13. Acts 13. Typically, Acts 13, well, it is, not typically, it is the first missionary journey. But guess where does the first mission where does the first missionary journey begin from? It begins from a local church that's located in Antioch. Well, how did that church get in Antioch? The church in Jerusalem was scattered through persecution, and as they scattered like seed, they sowed with abandon, right there, so with gospel abandoned, they sowed the seed of the gospel. And as people got saved, they were gathered by receiving the gospel, repenting of their sins, and being baptized, and that formed them into local churches. Wow. So what happens then in that local church? Well, let's look at Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch... In the church that was there, prophets and teachers. And then it lists these prophets and teachers, these leaders of the church. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger means black. So you got Barnabas, who we know from Acts, was a Jewish guy from Cyprus. We've got Niger, who is a black man from that part of the world. And then Lucius of Cyrene. So we got a, a guy from Cyrene. And then it says Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. So we got somebody who was uh, a part of a, a, a high social status. So we got wealth. We got differing uh, social status. We got differing economic status. We've got differing ethnicities. What do we have? We have a church that is a refuge for the nations. And it all came from a church that was basically Jewish. And now it has multiplied, okay? And Saul, who is eventually going to become Paul. Now, notice what happens in this local church. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, okay, during their worship as a local church, during that worship, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which 
I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So what happens? You've had a church in Jerusalem that was planted originally. It was scattered and ends up planting this church in Antioch with great diversity in it. And then out of that church, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me these two guys, and they're going to go on the first missionary journey sent out from a local church. Now, what are they going to, what were they sent out to do? Well, when you go through the book of Acts, you go, basically, you don't even have to go through the whole book. Just go through 13 and 14. You find they go out and they plant, establish, and multiply local churches. That's what missions is. Now, maybe you're here at LifeBridge and you're like, well, I know that. That's all we're, you know, we're always talking about that. I know that. But outside, well, first of all, make sure you do know that. Okay, make sure you really know that and you really understand that. And you have really embraced from your understanding of Scripture that this is what missions is. But understand this, that in the world of missions... Many good Christians are very confused about what missions is. Even mission organizations that are committed to missions. And so we need to understand that from beginning to end, it's missions. Now you say, what did they plant? Well, look at, uh, go to 1423. Here's the end of this first missionary journey. Here's the end of the first missionary journey. Acts 1423. So Barnabas, and and now Saul has been known as Paul. He's the leader, so it's Paul and Barnabas. And here's what's happened in verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, they planted churches. And having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in in whom they had believed. See, once they had planted and established leadership, They were done with that church. That church had been planted. It had been established. So what what do we hear Corey say? They planted a church. They've gathered them. And now they're going to establish a pastor. And that church is then going to be ready for him to leave. Now, that might take years. But that's that's what's going on. And uh, so then notice what they did. And they passed through all these cities where they had spoken the word. And when they're all done, verse 27, they're done with the first missionary journey. Where did they go back to? Verse 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together. Church, 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 church. That's what missions is. They gathered together to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to who? To the Gentiles. We established refuges for the nations. We planted and established and multiplied local churches. So here's what I want you to understand from this, the application. Missions involves many things. Planting a local church involves many things. And if you were here at our world outreach, you know that that includes orphanages, right, for the abused and abandoned. It includes feeding centers for the hungry and thirsty. Mitch and Beth have a feeding center. Randall Fernandez has a feeding center in that country that we won't mention where he's at. 
uh, sewing businesses for women at risk. That's what uh, Beth told us about. It includes caring for physical needs of refugees and immigrants, like the case bolts do right here in the Northeast, like the McAllisters are doing in Germany, like Keith Gandy reaching out to Muslim immigrants there in Frankfurt, Germany. But at the end of the day, the main thing is this. Missions is local churches being planted, established, and multiplied. All those outreaches are either out of a local church or to get people into a local church. Does that help? So that's what it is. Now, what does that then look like? What does it look like? Or, or uh, what does it look like? How, how, how does that happen? Here's the second point. Local churches are fully devoted to being faithful and fruitful in EDM. They are faithful and fruitful in EDM. You say, what does EDM stand for? Well, here it is. It's evangelism, discipleship, and it's missions. That's how churches are planted, that's how they're established, that's how they're multiplied. And that's the essence of mission. A lot of things involved in that. We had a whole world outreach devoted to a lot of those uh, other things, but the main thing is that, if that makes sense. So, you say, where do I go to see that? Well, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is an amazing book. It's structured around seven growth reports. And so I have a chart there in your notes, seven growth reports. So it tells a bit of the story, for instance, Acts 1 through 2, and then it has a growth report, and that's the first one, and we already read through that one. Then they tell a little more of the story, and then you have the second growth report, Acts 6, 7. And then they tell some more of the story, and then there's another growth report, and on it goes. You see the verses there, okay? Now... I wrote them out for you. You can read those on your own. You can see them, and you can look at them even now as we go through the rest of this. What do these growth reports tell us? Well, first of all, they're filled, what does God love for us to do? According to these growth reports, the three things that God loves for us to do is E, which is what? D, M. That's what He loves for us to do. The result of that, what God loves to grow through those three things, is through evangelism, what God loves to grow is God's people, which results in numerical growth. So in these growth reports around them, you'll see 3,000 were added that day, 5,000 were added that day. There are, But understand this, people are added one by one. Evangelism, numerical growth, and what does that result in? A church being what? Planted, yeah. Discipleship. God loves for us to do discipleship because God loves to grow His Word. God's Word. If you look in those growth reports, several times, growth report number two, growth report number four, and growth report number six, talks about the Word of God growing. Now, what does that mean? Were they like publishing Bibles? Is that what the Word of God... No, the Word of God grows 
as it controls the lives of people who have been evangelized. The Word of God grows its influence through you as you are discipled. Make sense? And what that results in... I'm sorry, this, this was numerical growth. This results in spiritual growth. Not just bodies gathered, but godly bodies. The image of God is being restored and filling the earth. And what does that mean? A church, when people are discipled, what does that result in? A church being established. Missions. What God loves us to do is missions. What God loves to grow are churches, God's church. So you got God's people, God's word, and God's church. And this results in geographical growth. And the result is churches are multiplied to all people. Because remember in the book of Acts, you shall be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And when you look at the book of Acts, it starts in Jerusalem... With one church, Acts 2. And that one church grows and spreads through the book of Acts to where the book of Acts, chapter 28, ends in Rome, which was the capital of the empire of the known world. How did that happen? Well, God loves us to do E is what? D, missions. Evangelism grows what? God's people by leading lost people to be saved. Discipleship grows what? The Word of God because it begins to control the thinking and actions and emotions of God's people. And God loves to grow God's church through missions because that's what missions is. And so God loves to count... Numerical growth, spiritual growth, and geographical growth so that churches are planted, established, and multiplied. That's what it looks like. Listen, that's what missions is. Okay, that's what it's built on. That's what it is. That's what we as a church need to be fully devoted to. That's what you as an individual needs to be fully fully devoted. You go, well, I need help evangelism, help evangelizing. Exactly, that's why we have a church. But, 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 because first of all, here, here's for a lot of years, we would just tell people, uh, the church would just tell people, go out and evangelize. And you just go out there and you're just scared, spitless. And every preacher is too. Okay, so you know, this isn't just a, a lay thing, right? But you got to understand, you have a team of people. You have a, a grow group to help you with that. You have our class. You have our church. But understand this, when you're at work, it's on you. You know, I can't lead your neighbors to the Lord. I can help you. I can equip you. I can pray with you. And I would love to partner with you. If you have somebody you think I could connect with, man, I'm there. But at the end of the day, we're scattered like seed to sow gospel seed. So, you know, I've been praying for a lot of them lost sinners at Avant because we've got a whole team of people there. Uh, I don't know how that, how, how's evangelism going at Avant. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. Becky, Becky's working at Avant now, so I'm all I'm always asking Becky. I said, "Do we need to pray for your supervisor?" She kind of she kind of mean. And then we pray for a long time. No, no, no. She says great things about you, Vicky. She does. She does. She does. She wants to keep her job. All right. So that's what it looks like. Now, here's what I want you to realize. That's missions. I was, I'm on a list with a bunch of pastors that are godly men, believe the Bible, good guys, great, great guys. But we just this week, we had this big, you know, discussion with one of our missionaries, who will remain nameless, who put out a discussion. And what basically what he was trying to do was say, hey, look, this is what missions is. And this is where our dollars and our manpower needs to go to the uh, getting this out to the unreached, especially. And man, people go bananas. You know, uh, listen, feeding center is great as it fe- as it leads to planting, establishing, or multiplying a church. Orphanage is great. But you know what? Because Here, here's the thing. All of those peripheral things, but they are important, so maybe peripheral is bad, but peripheral in light of this, okay? The world can do all those things. The world can dig better wells. The world can provide cleaner water. The world can provide for physical needs. But what the world can't do and will not do is share the gospel. They will not plant churches. They will not uh, establish churches. And they will not... So we use those things to build bridges. But at the end of the day, that's what missions is. That's what it looks like. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to plant kingdom outposts, establish kingdom outposts, and multiply kingdom outposts until he comes, until the end of the age. Make sense? Now, what's required of that? Well, 12 principles. So here you go. First one, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. What is required? I'm sorry, I skipped over that. What is required for churches to do that? So I'm sorry, when I get in the book of Acts, I get excited. So I'm like, okay, you know, what are we going to end this series on? Well, what do we need to do? Because we're not perfect at any of this. So we kind of need to be reminded of what is it that we, what's required of us? Well, here's the good news. The first thing that's required of us is the power of the Spirit, and we already have that. Amen? The power of the Spirit. Acts 2. Man, each one of these, you know, we could, this would be a 12-week series. Because just the first principle is this. Jesus said, go and wait. Don't you dare do any of this until my spirit comes, because you can't do it without me. But when his spirit comes, this Peter who denied him three times and went and wept and wouldn't show his face, stands up in the same city where Jesus had been crucified, facing the same people who had crucified him, and he's just boldly preaching. What made the difference? Was it Peter? No, it was the power of the Spirit. Good stuff? Yes, it is good stuff. Keep going, Chris. Number two, the proclamation of the gospel. What's required of us is the proclamation of the gospel. When Peter is filled with the Spirit 
And God's people, the 120 that were gathered, they began to speak. They began praising God, and those with the gift of preaching began preaching. Listen, what is required of us is so with gospel abandoned. We've got to proclaim the word. All of this, how does evangelism happen? Proclaiming the word. How does discipleship happen? Getting into the word, right? Living the word. How does missions happen? You send people to preach the word to get this done. And all through the book of Acts, and listen, it's not just preachers. It's not just apostles. When the church in Jerusalem is scattered, it's ordinary people who are scattered like (laughs) seeds. And wherever they go, the spirit is in them. The gospel they have received comes out of them. All right, so the proclamation. Number three, persecution by the world. You said, that's required? Do I have to go looking for that? No, you don't have to go looking for that. It'll come to you. But don't be surprised when it does. And take note if it never does. Because I promise you, if you're filled with the power of the Spirit and you're proclaiming His Word on a daily basis through your life, through word and deed, you're going to get pushback. But God, you, if we had time, man, just thinking through this this week and tracing this, God uses persecution to prepare his people for greater progress. It's a beautiful thing. Number four, the prayers of the local church. The prayers of the local church. And literally, these principles are moving you from Acts 1 to Acts 28. So if we, I have the verses there. You could do, you know, for the rest of the year, you could just spend a study of Acts and look at these principles. So the prayers of God's people. So Acts 4 is where the first persecution comes. When persecution comes, what does the church do? They pray. And you know what's beautiful about Acts 4? First persecution comes... Church prays. Guess what passage they quote? Psalm 2, refuge for the nations. They said, Lord, the nations raged against you. They're raging against us. And then guess what they pray for? If you were being persecuted, what would you pray for? If you were being persecuted, what would you pray for? You're in your grow group. I'm getting persecuted. What are you going to ask? I mean, just normal and don't be ashamed. Relief. What? Make it stop. Make it stop. I love it. Relief. Protection. You know what these guys pray for in Acts 4? Greater boldness to proclaim. And guess what? When they pray for greater boldness to proclaim, the power of the Spirit fills them again. So the first, three, the first four principles are all played out in the first four chapters. Power of the Spirit, uh, proclamation of the Word, persecution, pray, pray for boldness so that you can proclaim more and the power comes so they can proclaim more. Isn't that cool? Okay, principle number five. Number five is this, the purity of the local church. Because there's not only persecution from without, but there's opposition from within. And I can't take you through that wonderful story, but that's why we prayed for this unknown man right now. We'll get his name. We're praying for this unknown man, and what we, we prayed for God's protection of him because there's also opposition within. The devil wants to bring impurity to the church. God will use whoever he pleases, but he is holy. 
Therefore, his people must be holy to stay on mission. Number six, the protection of gospel priorities to stay on mission while meeting needs. Oh, that's a big one. The tension in missions is this, but we have so many needs at home. So where does missions dollars go? Do they go at home or do they go abroad? This principle number six helps with that. You've got to protect gospel priorities. Number seven, the persistent crossing of barriers and building bridges. Basically, the book of Acts is this persistent move of the Holy Spirit to get people out of their comfort zones and out of their prejudice and out of their lack of love for other cultures and other people in order to spread the gospel. Okay? Number eight, the providential preparation of senders and goers. The providential preparation of senders and goers. What am I talking about there? As we go through the book of Acts, you find that God is preparing the dude that's being the greatest persecutor of the church to become the greatest missionary, and nobody knows it but God. The Apostle Paul was the greatest persecutor of the church. Right now, as terrorism grips the world, God is preparing out of those terrorists missionaries, but we don't know about it. And you got to keep praying for even terrorists to come to know Christ. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense, but it makes gospel sense. Number nine, the pursuit of worship as the fuel and goal of missions. Number ten, the practice of EDM is intentionally followed, evangelism and discipleship in missions. Number eleven, The perseverance of senders and goers. Listen, all through Acts, there's reasons to quit. There's reasons to stop. And guess what? In this room, in this room right now, there's all sorts of reasons to quit, to stop, to stop giving, to forsake praying, to neglect sharing of the gospel. But we must persevere. We must persevere. And then, number 12, the partnership of the Lord of the harvest with all kinds of people. The partnership of the Lord of the harvest. And someday we'll, I'll do a, a lesson that I've done on Romans 16. In Romans 16, I used to have the number memorized. I don't have any memorized anymore. Paul lists, like, I'm just going to make up a number, a couple dozen names. Okay, And it includes men and women. It includes young and old. It includes Jew and Gentile. It includes women who are the mothering type and women who are the teaching type. It includes guys that are the aggressive, bold type. And it includes guys that are the shy, quiet type, like Timothy. Okay, It included men that were encouragers like Barnabas and guys that were choleric doers like Paul. It includes slave and free, rich and poor. It includes, just like in this class, 
just like in this church, just like in the church in Amsterdam. And it's that partnership. And so I end with this at the end of your notes. A great commitment to Christ and His great commission and His great commandment will multiply great churches that bridge the gap to be a refuge to all the nations. So here's your application. Take one of those 12 principles, and obviously the first ones are the ones we've honed in on. Take some of those, one of those, just take one of those, or take one of these aspects and say, Lord, I need to grow in this. But let me encourage you first, thank God for who evangelized you. Thank God for who discipled you. Thank God for who equipped you in missions. And then be thinking, who am I evangelizing? Who's on my prayer list? Who do I talk to? Do I need to be discipled? Come and see me. Do I need to re-up my commitment, discipling others? And then missions, I don't need to go there. We had a whole emphasis on it. Make sense? I hope this helps you. It's the book of Acts. It's the book of Acts, and it's just reduced to its simple priorities. They're right there. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we close acknowledging that you're the Lord of the harvest. You are seated at the right hand. You have given your spirit. You have placed your spirit in us the moment we accepted you. We are now witnesses. The only question is, are we good ones or are we bad ones? And Lord, your grace is sufficient to make us bold witnesses. And Lord, your son is worthy of being talked up and talked about and shared a lot. It is you that we are in love with and it's you that we want to talk about. I pray that we will sow the seed and be gospel sharers, gospel talkers on a regular basis. Lord, may we grow in these areas as a church and as individuals, as a class so that we can be a refuge for the nations until you come back. And again, thank you, Lord, for the perseverance of Corey and Kaylee. And may you protect and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.